NHL goalie James Reimer refuses to bow down to the alphabet game. And ESPN shares an interview with a national champion wrestler calling Muhammad a false prophet just days before Ramadan. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at a couple of different stories of sports players actually standing up for their faith. Sports players actually standing up and saying the truth about not only sin, but even when it comes to false prophets. And they got a little backlash to come with it. But before we do, we would love for you guys to make sure to subscribe to the channel, hit that little bell to get the notification. I know a lot of people have been sending us messages saying, hey, I'm not getting notified. So I guess keep ringing and ringing until you do. And if you feel so led, we'd love for you guys to make sure to click and also give a five-star review if you feel so led. That just simply helps us. The same thing as clicking likes on a video simply, simply helps us to get this in front of other people's eyes, in front of other people's ears, and make sure that we can continue to not only encourage believers, but also share the gospel with this lost and dying world. Without any further ado, I saw this story recently, and for you guys that are new to Good Fight Ministries, Tony Palacio is more of the hockey fan here at the Ministry of Good Fight, but he's out in Tennessee now. But when I saw this, I thought, wow, that is Really interesting, because if you remember just a few months back, the defenseman for the Philadelphia Flyers, Ivan Provarov, actually said, hey, I am not going to be wearing this. But what he pointed to was the Russian Orthodox Church. And he said, I'm not going to be wearing uh, in the pregame ceremony or the pregame buildup to the game. I'm not going to be wearing these jerseys and these over whatever that are going to be in support of the LGBTQRXTUZ community. And of course, people were really upset. But when we look back at it, funny enough, his jersey sales skyrocketed. And a lot of people said, hey, this is great that he's standing up for this. And so when this has come out again here in more locally to us, just a few hours north of us, up in San Jose, California, when James Reimer had come out and made the statement that he wasn't going to be engaged in it as well, I thought it was really interesting some of the things he actually said in his statement and the fact that the San Jose Sharks decided to share this from their Twitter before sharing a bunch of ridiculous facts about transgenderism and so forth. But nonetheless, he they did share what he had to say, and here is what he actually had to say. Under the umbrella of the NHL's Hockey is for Everyone initiative, the San Jose Sharks have chosen to wear a jersey in support of the LGBTQIA plus community tonight. Um, for all 13 years of my NHL career, um, I've been a Christian, not just in title, but in, in how I choose to live my life daily. Um, I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and in response asked me to love everyone and, uh, and follow him. Um, I have no hate in my heart for, for anyone. Uh, I've always strived to treat everyone with uh, respect and, and, and kindness. Um, in this specific instance, I'm personally choosing not to endorse something um, 
um, you know, a sexual identity or orientation that is counter to my convictions, which are based in the Bible, um, which I consider the highest authority in my life. I strongly believe, um, you know, I feel like I couldn't reiterate that enough. I strongly believe that, that every person has value in life, um, or sorry, value and worth. Um, you know, you guys, um, my teammates, everyone. Uh, I strongly believe that every person has value and worth uh, in, in people in this community. Um, and the LGBTQIA plus community, like all others, should be welcome in all aspects um, of the game of hockey. So as you hear him say that, you might think, wow, that's a pretty nice statement. That should be fine. But no, of course, there is still going to be an uproar. Because if you do not bow the knee, if you do not kiss the ring, you are the enemy. You are a mean guy. You're a horrible person. Doesn't matter what you've done for the community or anything. And that typically is how it goes. But I also want you to hear, and this was on a Canadian show talking about him not wanting to do it. And I want you to hear some of just the specific ways that they bring this up and talk about this in light of someone saying, hey, I have convictions based on scripture that I'm not going to be able to acquiesce to. I have convictions based on what the Bible teaches that I can't simply say, yes, I'm in support. And in fact, I'm celebrating pride, whether it's the pride of homosexuality or the pride of any other sin. I'm not going to be supporting the pride of that sin. And I want you to hear some of the lingo that is used by Don Chabai of the Breakfast Television up in Canada. So, you know, I understand the concept of religion, and I'm not an overly religious person, so for me, I I wouldn't personally uh, sway that way. But I think at the end of the day, you know, young people, anybody looking for, you know, to the sports stars to be an example and to be that uh, beacon of acceptance. And I think, you know, by saying no hate, you're also not showing love for your fellow players, for people that are really looking to you. And I think um, it's 20 minutes You know, no one was asking him to do any big speech or big rally or to be in a parade. Uh, 20 minutes during practice, I just don't see why this would be such a huge conflict. And again, I don't sway that way as far as religion goes, but I think, you know, really alienated and disappointed a lot of people. And I think it was just, it's very sad to sort of hear that level of passion for something that, you know, wouldn't have been a big ask, I don't think, in my opinion. You're, you're with your team, you're supporting fellow teammates, and you're supporting future generations as well. Now, notice a couple of things. I did find it really odd that she kept mentioning, I don't sway that way in terms of religion, which, in all honesty, that's typically a statement used for, I don't sway that way in terms of sexuality. But nonetheless, that is what she kept referring to as, I'm not religious. And when you look at What she says there, that this now makes James Reimer a bad influence, you see, because when we're looking for, as she said, looking for good influences of people that are accepting, now the moral line is drawn that if you're not accepting of all of these things, then guess what? You're not somebody who should be influencing people. Now, that is exactly what we're talking about. She thinks it's not, it's just a no big deal. It's 20 minutes, blah, blah, blah. Then why do you care so much if it's just 20 minutes? It only takes one second to bow the knee, and yet you can do that. And the early church found out the hard way. Just simply say, Caesar is Yahweh, and we won't kill you and your family. And they said, no. Now he might just get the ridicule of public opinion. So what? 
but we can pray for a brother who's going to be willing to stand up and wonder why aren't there more brothers and sisters in Christ who at least claim to be Christians and yet say, I'm not going to support the pride of any sin, let alone this one that the entire culture is telling us we have to accept. And I think about this, guys. In 1 Corinthians 15, I don't want to ever take a verse out of context, but in 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse in that chapter, and if you think about 1 Corinthians 15, a lot of times you're going to think about the resurrection, the gospel that is preached in the first four or five verses there. But then when you get into the resurrection that is going to take place, that we can know for certain that there is an afterlife because Jesus Christ came and died a public death and rose publicly and the resurrection is true. It's why we have a faith. It's why we preach all of that. And it ends with this. Therefore, connecting everything that was stated before, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now, I say that because the connective tissue there, the therefore that connects the previous verses, is the fact that we are going to get to be with Jesus forever, that the resurrection is going to actually take place. It isn't an idea. It isn't a philosophy. There is an afterlife, and we get to be with Jesus forever, and we can know it's true because the resurrection took place publicly. We know it's true because it wasn't just simply some guy telling you a philosophy or an angel or something, but literally something that happened there in Corinth that people saw, people who were still alive, saw the risen king. And guess what? So we can know that there is an afterlife. So whatever toil, whatever you're going through, whatever struggle it is, it's not in vain. And we have the concrete evidence of the resurrection to say, guess what? No matter what happens, no matter where the world comes, no matter what dangers among false brethren, dangers out there in shipwrecks, whatever they may come, no toil that is done in the Lord is in vain. So I I, I say that as an encouragement I'm sure he's getting a lot of flack for this. And you see some of the argumentation. Just give in a little bit. Just give in a little bit. And guys, that's been the argument all the way, right? That's been the argument for how long? Oh, it's not that big a deal. They're just trying to get these rights. But, you know, now here's drag queen shows at the local elementary schools in the public libraries, wherever they're doing these things. I mean, this is exactly when people say, oh, that's the slippery, you know, slippery slope fallacy. The truth is we've seen the slippery slope and it's really, really ugly and it's nasty and exactly all the warnings that people have been giving uh, is exactly been answered. We're seeing the fruition of it. We're seeing exactly what has been warned about for many years taking place. The slippery slope, we're now, it feels like the bottom, but I'm sure we're sliding down even worse because Jesus promised that it will be worse than it has ever been when it comes to the end times. Something that took place actually over the weekend, and for you guys that may or may not know, I have been a wrestling coach for a number of years. In fact, since I was 19 years old, I've been involved as an assistant coach. I've been a head coach of a high school team, and uh, I've also started and and helped run a kids program because I have kids that are now wrestling. So this last weekend, we got together and watched the NCAA finals. And one of the cool things about wrestling is there is a high concentration of Christians in the sport. And I do believe it has a lot to do with the reaping and sowing effect of wrestling. It is a sport that you have to work really, really hard to get minimum glory. And yet it just provides so many great principles for life. 
But nonetheless, that's just my uh, opinion. Nonetheless, when we were watching it, it was so cool to see so many of the guys just giving reference to Christ and that Christ did all the work. And there was one interview that really stuck out to me, but actually something that happened before, and even in the interview, and we're going to play a clip from it, even in the interview, something that stuck out to me before that interview was a wrestler by the name of David Carr. David Carr was a national champion as a freshman. Uh, His sophomore year, he ended up taking third place at the national championships. And then at the NCAA finals this year, he had beaten a wrestler by the name of Keegan O'Toole uh, twice leading up to the NCAA finals. But in the championship, the match that really matters, he ended up losing to the same guy he had beat multiple times. And David Carr is an outspoken believer. He talks about Jesus all the time. He puts up whatever he's reading about his Bible, and he has a ton of followers. And I think he does a great example of sharing a lot of times. And I thought that was really cool. But one of the cool things is a lot of people say, oh, you know, people only give credit to God when they win or and so forth. And one of the cool things that was seen, and actually even the announcers were talking about it, and that's how what brought up the conversation that brought out something that we're going to talk about. And that was when David Carr lost that match, biggest match of the year. He went right after and sat right next to another wrestler from another school named Aaron Brooks, who's also a believer in Jesus Christ, and sat right next to him with a headband on that said, 100% Jesus. And I thought that was pretty cool because he was still giving glory to God and he was still being right there by his brother in Christ, even though he had just lost the biggest match of the year, something he had been training for all year. And I thought that was really awesome. But then when Aaron Brooks won his third national title, he was interviewed by ESPN. And I'm showing you this because I find it very interesting. But you have to hear what Aaron Brooks had to say. Because it wasn't just all glory to God or the big man upstairs. You have to hear this. How does that help you on a night like tonight? Um, it's everything. Christ's resurrection is everything. Not just his life, but his death and resurrection. You can only get that through him. The Holy Spirit only through him. No false prophets, no Muhammad, no anyone else. Only Jesus Christ himself. Wow. Um, You may find it not surprising that that interview was taken down from ESPN's Instagram, uh, NCAA Wrestling's Instagram, as well as the Twitter page that shared it. And that was because a lot of people were upset because not only did he proclaim Jesus Christ, but he called Muhammad a false prophet just a few days before Ramadan. And I thought, wow, not only did he share the resurrection, that he shared Jesus Christ dying for us, but also that he would actually call out the false prophet Muhammad. Now, a lot of people were offended on the Instagram page, which is why I'm sure it was taken down. In fact, even actor Billy Baldwin uh, decided to give a commentary on how terrible it was that he was saying that because other people don't really believe the same thing. And a number of Muslims were on there saying the exact same thing and complaining. And a lot of people may or may not know this, but this is the time of Ramadan. In fact, it just started. And I want to encourage you guys, because I think this is actually a great time to show why Muhammad is a false prophet. And I'm not saying that's the methodology of sharing the gospel with every Muslim. Um, My wife and I plan on going to a Ramadan dinner uh, next week, actually, with somebody we love and want to know Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be sharing the gospel with them. And hopefully... Um, you guys are going to get to see something we'll be able to hand to them as well. And this comes from a track that I have written 
to hand out to Muslims. And what better time than Ramadan? A lot of nominal Muslims who are not actually following, who are engaging in drinking and so forth, actually do still celebrate because of the family pressure, the holiday of Ramadan. And so it is a great time because they might actually be thinking about spiritual things. And the track that has been written is called The Prodigal Muslim. And we're not only going to have this track available to you, but I'm going to read it for you guys. And we'll be making a video in light of this as well for you to share. There once was a young man who came from great wealth. He sat and ate at his father's table and never lacked in anything. But after many years and blessings abundant, he asked for something that would tear his father's heart in two. He no longer wanted to spend his days with his father and brother, but rather wanted to cash in on his inheritance and live a life free of his care and his rules. Sadly, this event happens all the time. Young men and women leave the safety of their family's house, hoping that this newfound freedom will make them truly free. While it sounds good on the surface, what typically takes place is that they find themselves slaves to the bondage of alcohol, drugs, and sexual promiscuity and bring great shame to their family in the process. The young man in this tale was not free from these very entanglements. In fact, he squandered all of his inheritance on loose living. Things turned so bad for him that he had to give up his freedom and become a slave in order for him to not starve. He was forced to work in the filth of pigs and even came to the point that he wanted to fill his stomach with the food that was next to the very place that the pigs would defecate. It was only after this turbulent fall into utter ruin that he thought to himself, even my father's workers have enough to eat and I'm here dying of starvation, working for a man I do not know. He formulated a plan in which he would come to his father, prostrate himself and ask his father's forgiveness. He would then offer himself as a servant of his father in order that he may not starve. If this story sounds familiar to you, it is probably because you might have heard it in a book that the Quran says was revealed by Allah himself in Surah 526 and Surah 5727. It was a story told by Jesus of Nazareth and recorded in the Injil in Luke 15, 11 32. Jesus used many different stories to help us understand what paradise is like and how God interacts with us. In this very story, Jesus used it to describe what it would look like for those who would repent and come back to their father's house after making a mess of their life. Interestingly enough, the repentant plea initially prescribed by the brother is described over and over again in the Quran. And according to Surah 518 and Surah 1992 through 93, he was right in believing that he will only be accepted as a servant and would never be accepted as a family member. One could easily understand how he could come to such a conclusion. He has done evil in his father's sight. He has squandered everything that his father had given him. And to simply be a servant shows you the graciousness and the compassion of a father who has been wronged. But how does Jesus actually end this story? How does he describe how this disobedient child will live out his days? In Luke 15, 20 through 24, Jesus tells us, So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it 
and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. The father embraces him as his own. He doesn't merely give him a job as a servant. He celebrates the fact that he has returned and welcomes him as a son. It is not hard to see the parallel in repentance described in the Quran and the very position that the prodigal son expected for him when he came to his father. The fact is, the character of the son's father was far and above greater than what he ever expected. Jesus tells us that our father in heaven not only wants us as a child, but in the case of the prodigal son, the father runs to meet him. He doesn't even wait for him to get all the way home. Rather than a relationship as a servant, he offers a place for him at the table. This very right is one that is given to those who believe by the grace of God. John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The fact is, God can offer us that seat at the table because he has personally dealt with sin. As a Muslim, you are to believe that one day your life's deeds will be placed on a scale. Quote, Then, as the ones whose scales are heavy with good deeds, you will receive a pleasant life, paradise. But as for the ones whose scales are light, his refuge will be an abyss, a fire intensely hot. Surah 101, 8-11 But if we consider this, we quickly recognize that this measurement isn't even accepted in a courtroom today. I ask you, if someone came in and murdered your mother, would the fact that they prayed, fasted, gave money, and made pilgrimage change the fact that they murdered your mom? If you went to a court hearing and you came to find out that the judge let the man off simply because he had done a lot of good for the world, would you believe this judge was a good judge? Of course not. The fact is, the payment for the crime must be required in order for the judge to be a righteous judge. Sin is so serious that simply saying I'm sorry doesn't cut it. Someone needs to pay for the crimes. The same author who recorded the story mentioned above in the Injil also wrote what Christians call the Book of Acts. The book records the acts of the followers of Jesus, who the Quran calls the uppermost of men in Surah 61.14. In that book, the followers of Jesus are warned of ravenous wolves that would come and try to tear apart those who follow the Christ. It then says a very important statement as to the price that was paid in order for us to be reconciled to God. Of these very people, it says that, quote, God purchased the church with his own blood, Acts 20, 28. Man is free to die and pay for the crimes he has committed, but the fact is, our crimes have been paid for. When Jesus died on the cross, something that even the most skeptical atheist scholars believe, he cried out with a word, Tetelestai. This was an accounting term used at the time in order to proclaim a debt that was paid. The difference being, Jesus Christ did not pay for his own debt. He had none, but the debt of sin that was due our name. It is because of him crying out, paid in full, that I can have full assurance that I will enter in to everlasting life. I don't want to have to wonder if God will accept me because my debt of sin is laid out before me. In front of my God, it has those words, written in the blood of God Almighty, paid in full. That is why Jesus says, all who come to him pass from death into life. John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me 
has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. There is no wondering. There is no scale. If you love Jesus, you know that to be absent of the body only means we will be present with the Lord. Neither Jesus or his apostles ever question whether or not they would be saved. They knew that when they died, they would be ushered into the presence of God because they know their debt is paid. This cannot be said of Islam. Even your prophet Muhammad was not sure where he would go when he died. In Surah 46.9 it says, Say, I am not something original among the messengers, nor do I know what will be done with me or with you. I only follow that which is revealed to me, and I am not but a clear warner. If he couldn't know, then you can't know. If you are someone who has practiced Islam for a number of years and come to realize that you have no assurance of salvation and have come to realize that you've been following someone who would not even welcome you in as a child, now is the time to turn to the true God and embrace him. He doesn't keep you guessing concerning your salvation. He doesn't keep you wondering. He gives you full assurance that if you place your trust in him and believe in him, you will be saved. Romans 10, 8-13. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus made it clear that those who believe in him pass from life to death and do not fall into condemnation. You don't have to take someone's word for it, that they were talking to the angel Gabriel. You can know that over 500 different eyewitnesses point to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It isn't on the word of one man, but on many. I encourage you to follow the truth, and you will find that it only leads to one place, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. If you actually care about believing the truth, take this to your imam, take it to the people of the book, and cry out for the true God to reveal himself to you. This has been Chad Davidson, and this is the 511 News. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.